0: Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I'm gonna tell you uh, a quick joke. Uh, in, in lieu of, like, we have some... We we, we we have some newborns in our church. I'm sure you guys have seen them, not this morning, but we have some little ones in our church, and that's so awesome. And that means there's new moms in our church. And I just want to make, this is really more of a public service announcement, like flu season's coming, and women, you need to understand, recent studies have shown that that mothers that just, they go, when they go through the birthing process without an epidural, that's the closest they'll ever come to knowing what it feels like when a man gets a cold. And so, just give us grace um, in this flu season. Uh, you guys almost you almost know what it feels like, but that's, it, it's not quite there. So, man flu's a real thing, and uh Just be watching out for your husbands. Watch out for me. Just check on me daily um, now after that joke. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop it. Stop it, Ryan. I've I've hid all the shovels at my house, but she knows where I keep my guns. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, Stop it. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we are digesting a whole chapter again. And I, I, we're doing it this way because it's dealing with one subject matter. And honestly, there's really not that many verses in this chapter. There's 13 verses. And I think it's good for the church to digest scripture. We need to digest scripture. And I, I don't want to... I, I personally don't prefer topical preaching. I like... Um, Exegetical preaching. I like to dive through sections of Scripture with you guys, and we need to digest Scripture together. It's kind of like it, to, to, some, sometimes topical preaching is like going to a buffet and only eating dessert sometimes. It could be that way, and every now and then you get like a slice of ham. What What expository preaching does when we go through whole sessions of scripture, verse by verse, and we walk through books together, it forces us to eat things that we might not like, but we need to eat. Growing up, I did not like broccoli or green beans, and I still don't like green beans, but I make myself eat them. Might not eat them as much as I should but I make myself eat them because they are good for me. And they help me actually more than that steak. They have more vitamins, they have more. So not that I eat steak a lot either. It's more like, you know, like the redneck steak, like bologna, but um, <laughs> fried bologna. The, I'm pretty sure that's Kentucky steak, but we, we have got to digest scripture and we don't need to pick and choose what we want. That's why I think it's so good to walk through books of the Bible. Not just, you know, you, you, use your daily devotions. Those are great. Walk through a daily devotion, but also read books of the Bible. It makes you chew on things that you normally wouldn't chew on. It makes you question things. They're like, hey, I didn't know that was in there. Or, man, I need to change what I'm doing because God's word says this. And so we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is a heavy chapter, We're getting into some juicy stuff here. So let's just jump in. Paul starts this chapter with, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. So last week we talked about the gap between who we are and who God's making us to be. And how he's trying to close the gap. And he addressed spiritual pride. Because remember he said you guys think you're wise. You think you're strong. You think you're all these things. And in one, one sentence he demolishes everything they think they know about their spiritual maturity. In verse number one. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. I want you to catch what he says there. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin. Living in sin. That's important for us to understand how to move forward. You are so proud of yourselves. He's kind of thrown back to the last chapter. Oh, you're wise. You're strong. The Lord's blessing you. That must be God's approval on your life. He's like, you're so proud of yourselves. But you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church I'll be present with you in spirit, so that so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must, verse 5 says, This is in the Bible? I don't, I want to go back to the topical stuff, Pastor Ryan. This is kind of hard to chew on. Like it's this is this is biblical. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, what? Is that in my Bible? It is. Verse number five, 1 Corinthians chapter five. Hand him over to Satan? Sometimes we can stop short of what the, this is the problem with, like, sometimes topical preaching. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have topical preaching, but sometimes you can actually stop short of what the whole thing says so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. He hones in on sexual sin pretty hard. In fact, in multiple letters throughout the New Testament, it's not just Paul, but the Bible says, Flee from sexual immorality. All our sin happens outside your body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against God and yourself. Like, the only answer biblically to sexual sin is to run. Because I once talked to a, a counselor about this um, when I was a youth pastor because I had a bunch of students coming forward, and I've always been open about my struggles. When I, when I was a teenager, I struggled hard against pornography. I was addicted to it. I almost committed suicide over it. And, but when I started sharing, because I was always ashamed of that testimony. The Lord brought me out of that. And I got to be honest, guys, the enemy still tempts with it. That temptation hasn't gone away, but Christ is greater. One of the things I tell myself almost every day as part of my personal declaration, Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. Because I still have wrong desires in me, believe it or not. Really? I, that's, that's hard to believe. I I know. I know. Amy's like, shut up, Ryan. <laughs> but no. And, and, and so the Bible's very clear about this. Run from it, flee from it. He hones in on it. He, and the reason why, and the, what the counselor said when I was talking to her about how to help students, because not everyone has the same story, but it does the same things to your brain. Pornography, FYI, is more addictive than heroin, and it actually creates stronger addiction patterns in your brain than heroin. That's mind-blowing. But God can rewire your brain. That's like literally says in Romans 12, it says it says that God changes the way we think he rewires our brain. Within six months, God can make your, make, make your brain as if you never looked at it. It's crazy what God can do in the healing process. But she said, she said that the reason why sexual sin is so hard and so much harder to get rid of is because you can't walk away from it. If you're an alcoholic, if you don't have access to alcohol, you can't get drunk. If you're a drug addict and you don't have access to drugs, you can't get high. But this, it's literally part of your physical body. You can't walk away from it. So what do we have to do? We have to flee from the circumstances that lead to it. And he's telling them, don't even associate with, because it, 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 it spreads like Wildfire. When I wrote you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But, I, but listen, 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 listen. Verse 10 is very important for how we engage with the world. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or, treat, or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Sometimes Christians, they put our, ourselves in a little bubble and we don't associate with the world. How can we win the world when we don't have friends or unbelievers? We can't. The Bible says guard yourself against that so you don't commit the same things, but you'll never leave someone to the Lord if you're only in your own little Christian bubble. He's saying... I'm not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers are going to be sexually immoral. They're going to be drunk. They're going to be high. They're going to be stupid. But what does he say? I meant that you are not to associate anyone who claims to be a believer. Who yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Claims to be a believer. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, You must remove the evil person from among you. Some of you guys only heard this part. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. We just heard that like, okay, well, cha-ching. I knew I've been living right this whole time. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's not what he's talking about. He is talking about, Judging, like, judge for yourself. Is that person walking with Jesus or are they not? The first thing we do is if a person claims to be a Christian and is living like the world, we go to them in love and speak to them and say, hey, and not in front of everyone privately, and we don't talk about them. We must, we must choose to respond, though. They weren't even responding. They were just talking about it, but they weren't, they weren't confronting it. So, so what Paul is saying is, when you see someone living like that, that claim to be a Christian, living like the world, you go to them in love, talk to them, saying, hey, your lifestyle isn't matching up with Christ. And if they get all offended, and they throw a fit, and they just you know, lash out, you know I'll tell you whether they really are a Christian. And at that point, that's when you step back and say, okay. But it's not just so we can judge people. Well, did you hear about so and so? I can't believe they did that. Or they did this. You know, that's not the point. That's called gossiping, and that's also a sin. Then someone else is gonna have to walk up to you and say, hey, you man, you've been gossiping a lot. You're living like the world. What he's saying is, check be, be your brother's keeper. Let's help one another walk out our faith. Paul is speaking to a church that thinks they have their act together. They think they're, they're killing it for Jesus. They think, man, look at us. We are a prime example of what a Christian church should look like. And Paul comes in like a tuning fork. You know, you, you know what a tuning fork is? Like it's like a little thing, and, and you tap it, and it gives you a, only a specific note. It only has one note, and there's like a tuning fork for every note. And what Paul comes in, he comes in like a tuning fork in this letter and he smacks that tuning fork called the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and he rings out. And when it rings out, it actually shows the church instantly how out of tune they are with the Holy Spirit. And this happens all the time in our lives. When you live for Jesus Christ, and you're letting the Holy Spirit guide your steps, when you walk into an environment that is not godly, and but it has people who claim to be Christian in it, your life is like a tuning fork that shows them how out of tune they are. I remember right when I got out of college, I was working at an airport. I was directing planes. Yeah, I did not crash one plane. I just want you to know. <laughs> um. I will tell you, I almost got sucked up into an engine because I got a little too close. You know those things are powerful. Um, They're like, what are you doing? Get back there yelling at me, and I have my earmuffs on. just like, they're like, move! And finally, someone came and grabbed my... Yeah, it was... I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box. Like, sharpest crayon in the box. That even makes sense. So, I had a guy. So, I, I, I was... I was licensed with the Assemblies of God, and I was helping in youth at a a church up in Ashgrove, Missouri, and I worked with a guy who was ordained through a different denomination that is currently divided, and um, I didn't know he was a Christian, and so I told him, you know, in conversation, I told him that I went to Central Bible College, and I'm helping with the youth group and everything, and I always try to live my life, and I always try to share my faith. And so I'm sharing my faith, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. hey, hey, I'm a pastor too. I'm, I'm ordained with so-and-so denomination. And I'm like, first things first, I'm like, wait, what? What? And he's like, yeah, I've been wanting to talk. To you. And he started saying, that, you seem a little religious. And I was like, what? What? Like, I'm, I'm the least religious person I know. I love Jesus, and I want to live my life according to his word. And, and so finally, you know, we, I started talking to him. But, you know, this guy, he was talking about, I don't even want to say it. It was so vulgar. Well, he was talking, like, this guy, everyone knew that he was ordained through this certain denomination. But he talked about having an affair with the girl that we worked with, with his wife. That openly, at the break room, and I, I leaned over to him when we were in private. I said, man, I, I just don't think that type of talk honors Christ. And what do you think it does to all the people who don't know Jesus here? And he said, you're just being religious. I said, no, I'm not being religious. This is what the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. Everything what you just said is immoral and wrong. And you're going to stand before God one day and you're going to have to give an account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. It was like a tuning fork. He did not talk to me for the rest of my time there, he avoided me like the plague because of the tuning fork. When you walk with the Holy Spirit and you stand like, that's what Paul's doing. He's being a tuning fork. He's saying, come back in, man. Come into the, the right signal with Christ and the right tune with the Holy Spirit because that is wrong. You guys should have confronted this. I shouldn't have to write this letter. When it first happened, you should have took that brother aside and said, this is wrong. So if Paul sets the standard for how do we respond to sin? We respond to sin by removing it. That's our, But get this, that's our whole life in this world. This world is riddled with sin. This, this side of heaven, your whole life walking with Jesus, you will either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There is no coasting. It's you're actively engaged against sin in your walk with God or sin will kill you. You You're either killing sin. We kill sin or it kills us. But some in this room, even watching online, when you heard this and you read that scripture, you instantly felt that cold chill of condemnation run down your back And suddenly you thought, should I be expelled? Well, I have a list of names. I'm joking. I don't. And no, you shouldn't. The very fact that you felt that is proof that you shouldn't. What What I want to do today is I want to identify the difference between What we deal with on a day-to-day life as a believer in Christ and a follower of Jesus. And what was happening in the Corinthian church and many American churches. So the first thing I want to talk to you about, and this is really the brass tacks of it. How do we respond to sin? Well, there's two different responses. The difference between struggling with sin and living in sin. If you're struggling with sin, that means you're growing in Christ. What? It's true. If you're living in sin, you don't care about Christ. The closer we get to Jesus, the greater our struggle against sin becomes. The more we become like Jesus the more we realize we aren't like him at all. The closer we get to light, the more the light reveals in our lives. John 1 says, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And as we walk, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. So, as we get close to Jesus in this relationship, I have a flashlight, and I wish I, had, I wish this was my flashlight. This is actually AJ's flashlight. And Pastor Andy also brought me a flashlight, and it's a super bright flashlight. But this one's crazy bright, and so I'm going to shine it. But I'm going to show you something, if I can get it. So you see, you can see my hand, right? You can see my hand on this. Yeah, and you can kind of see the wall too. But the light's pretty diluted over by the wall. You you, you can see my hand. This is what happens as we get close to God. My hand becomes, in fact, I'll just turn it this way. I'm going to spread it way out. You can see my hand. But as we get closer to God, that light reveals more and more and more. And more 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 to the point that at some point I can't even see my hand now. All I can see is the light. Like literally I can't even see the color of my skin, I just see the white light. That's what God wants. I can even feel the heat from this little LED on my on my palm. God wants us to get so close that people don't see us. All they see is the light. But in that process, in that process, there's gonna be imperfections that the light's gonna reveal. Like right now, I can really see how nasty my calluses are. That's gross. Here, they're not too bad. You know, they're, they're acceptable. I, I mean, like here, you can't even see them. I get this close, man, I can see scars. What, what is that? Is that a bite? I mean, like, oh, look at that. That's a nasty little thing. You know, even highlighting that that close, you know, all I can see is light. Like, well, I've got to be smarter than the light I'm working with. There we go. when we get close to Jesus, that light reveals imperfections in us. And that's part of the struggle of walking with God is as he reveals things to us, we have to lay it down. And, 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 and it's not always like his Bible will reveal things to us. But then when we get around people who have a closer walk with Jesus, they're like that tuning fork. We realize, you know what? I'm kind of out of tune. I saw how they responded to their coworker who was so much a jerk to them, or that family member that threw them under the bus and just was so mean for no reason, and you saw them respond with grace, and you're like, I wouldn't have responded that way. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit's revealing, like, well, you should respond that way. And now, there's this opportunity for, for us to lay it down. And the Bible says, if you know to do something that is right, and you don't do it, it becomes sin. Well, that's, that's heavy, as the Lord reveals these things in your life and, and, he, and he's doing it to make you like Jesus so people don't see you, they see Jesus. They feel the heat of his presence. Like when Paul walks into this church, he's like this tuning fork and he's showing them how so out of tune they are. And, and, and in the same way, God, God reveals things and that's called the struggle. Because we have to struggle to lay Him down. You might say, Ryan, I still sin sometimes. I still give in to temptation. I hate it. I don't want to do it. I have even asked Jesus to take it away from me because I don't want it. But I would respond as praise Jesus. That's proof you're growing. The enemy wants you to feel condemnation. Like, I can't believe you did that again. Oh, God's so mad at you. But the fact that you feel this internal struggle in your walk with God as you you live your life, when you do mess up, when you do sin, that's proof that you're letting the Holy Spirit reveal things that you need to lay down. Because guess what? Sinners don't care about sinning. People who have the Holy Spirit in them hate sin. Sin. And when we sin, it just eats us up, not to make us feel guilty or bad, but to hopefully get us to a point of saying, God, you're right. I don't want this anymore. Take this away. And you keep praying that. Don't give up in praying that. Keep praying that. That's how you grow. It's getting closer and closer to the light so that light can expel darkness. And God uses people to reveal stuff. I I was once told that, God will place people in your life to show you areas of your life that you need to surrender. Like this last month, you know, pastoring my daughter, fathering my daughter, being her daddy, she has brought things out of me that I'm like, where is this coming from? (laughs) Like, what in the world? And I'm like, I used to to joke with our youth group. I'm like, if you guys can make me angry, I will give you a free t-shirt. Because I just, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with the punches. I don't get mad. I, I, I've, very few things make me mad. And the last month, I think my daughter found all of them. <laughs> like, like, I got so, uh, and I was like, God, like, I don't feel like I have an anger problem. God's like, it's coming from somewhere. It's at the inner you. And, and, and it's kind of like 14 karat gold, right? If you looked at a 14 karat gold ring, what does it look like? Gold, but when you boil it, when you apply heat and light to it, what happens? The gold sinks, and the what is it? Fourteen, the ten part that's not gold um, floats to the top. There's what? Twenty-four karat gold is pure gold, right? So, fourteen karat gold is fourteen parts gold, ten parts other. When you heat it, it separates, and. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with people. He puts this in our life and when you start things start revealing like my daughter making that come out of me. Well, that's something I need to surrender. I'm struggling right now in that. And I'm saying, "God, I need you right now." And I'm I'm, I'm praying and I'm repenting like, "God, I didn't know this was in me, but the heat of this parenting process is revealing parts that don't look like Jesus, so I don't want them." But that's part of the struggle. That's don't be condemned because you struggle with something that doesn't look like Jesus. Paul says this, Romans 7, says, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. He's saying, or another way to say that would be, but... If I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with God. So I'm not the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. And I am, And I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, (laughs) I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, So you can say, I love God with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That is the power that makes me a slave to sin that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord so you see how it is in my mind I really want to obey God's law but my sinful nature I am a slave to sin some of you guys are like that was so confusing so did he ever do what he wanted to do no he just described the the walk with Christ that's it but there's no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ. That's the point, is I'm struggling, I'm fighting against this, I'm putting myself to death, I'm dying to myself. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you got to die to yourself. That's the struggle. Struggle versus struggling with sin versus living in sin. Jesus says in Luke nine twenty three. The, then he said to the crowd if anyone wants to be my follower he must give up his own way. Some translations say die to yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life you will lose it. If you give up your life for my sake you will find it. Paul says in Galatians 2:20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. So I will live this earth I will live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He's choosing to make his, this flesh submit to the spirit. He's choosing to die to himself daily. And he's choosing like, dude, Paul got tempted. Paul struggled with sin like all of us. And when and 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 that's the point. That's the point. The struggle. You died to yourself daily. First Peter 2 24 says, He personally carried our own sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin. If you are alive in Christ, you're dead to sin. It's a backwards and upside down kingdom. You give up your way. You give up your life. You give up what you want. You die to yourself so that you can live. What was this guy doing in 1 Corinthians? He was living for himself and dying to Christ. That's the difference is li- living, living for this world is, is living in sin. But yet he claimed to be a Christian. And what's worse is the church wasn't even grieved by it. They weren't, they didn't even bat an eye. Yeah, they were a pagan society. Yeah, their, their society practiced sexual sin as a form of worship But they knew that this was wrong. That's why Paul said even pagans don't do that. When we are grieved by sin, you confront sin. When you hate your sin that manifests in your life from time to time, that's proof the Holy Spirit is growing you. The enemy wants you to feel condemned. God's saying, use that condemnation as proof that I'm working in you. God didn't send it, but I'm just saying, use it. The fact that you hate it is proof that the Holy Spirit's working on you. We wage war against sin. When we confront it, it's always motivated by love, though. This guy wasn't even struggling against his flesh, he was just living in sin, claiming to be a Christian. Paul says, In verse 11, he says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. This guy was that. He was claiming to be a believer and yet he was having sex with his stepmom. This guy was like, I'm on fire for Jesus. Woo! I'm even a Christian. and Yeah, I have a relationship. Sure, she's married to my dad, but She loves the Lord, too, and God loves us. Sounds ridiculous, right? Does that not sound asinine? It sounds completely stupid. Well, let me give you a more modern example. I'm on fire for Jesus. Yeah, I'm a homosexual. And yes, I'm married to someone of the same gender. But God loves me. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey me. We can't have both. We can't love Jesus and love our own way. The question is never whether God loves someone. He settled that on a cross 2,000 years ago. And he settled that through his resurrection. God is never the question. It's the fact that God gets to define sin and what is an affront to him. He's the only one who has the authority to define what sin is because he's the only one holy and righteous. And it doesn't matter whether society accepts it or not. And we're not talking about people outside the church. We're called to love every single person that walks the face of the earth. We love because he first loved us, John tells us. We love people. They could spit in our face. We want to hug them. They could kick us in the knee. We want to pray for them. We bless those who curse us. That's our mandate. It's never a question of whether we should love people. It's never a question of whether God loves them. It's people who claim to be Christian here. That are living like the world and not conforming to the word of God. God alone has the right. He is the only one righteous and qualified to define sin. You know, Nazi Germany committed genocide and it was socially acceptable. That doesn't mean God approved it. Our nation had hundreds of years of slaves. That doesn't mean God approved it. Just because it was socially acceptable does not give God's stamp of approval. The Word of God, and the Word of God only, is our standard, and it's our base. This guy was living in sin, claiming to be a Christian. Jesus said you have to give up your own way. And I'm going to say something here, and I believe this is true. I believe we, the Bible says we are born into sin. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's Romans 3.23. We are born into sin. And I believe that people can be born with a proclivity to different sins. Some people are born with a... Like, you just meet them, and they're just angry from the moment they come out of the womb, and they never get over it. I believe that people can have a proclivity to sin. Like, it doesn't matter whether it's homosexuality. It doesn't matter whether it's drunkenness. It doesn't matter whether it's murder. I don't care. There are people that just like, man, I just want to hit that guy with the ax. Like, where did that come from? He just cut you off in traffic. You know, like, but people have this proclivity to sin. And and for too long in the church, we said, oh, well, it could be all the other sins, but not this one. People aren't born that way. Well, actually, they're born into sin. And the last time I checked, that is a sin. But also the last time I checked is when we come to Christ, Paul says we have been crucified with Christ. We are dead to sin. We're born again. So when you're born again, (laughs) your new nature does not have a proclivity to sin. Your flesh does, but your new nature doesn't. And so people who claim to be a Christian and yet are living with the world and saying that, oh, I'm fine, I'm right. They don't have a new nature. They're not born again. And Paul's saying, push them out because a little yeast will sour the whole batch. It will flood. And here pretty soon you'll have young Christians saying, hey, they can do it, I can do it. And here pretty soon you'll have whole denominations that are not standing on the word of God and relieving. And, 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 but that's what Paul's saying. No, you have, to, you have a choice. You love this person and even when they pushed this guy out of the church it was in a hopes that he would hit rock bottom and look up and see that God was running after him with mercy and grace. We have to give up our own way to follow Jesus. We have to die to ourselves. When I when I got married to Amy I said, "No." The three billion other women. And when she got married to me, she said no, the three billion other men. We give up our own way. We are married to Christ. We give up our own way. That's the struggle. But the struggle's proof that you're growing. Too many Christians feel condemnation because they're struggling with sin. I can't believe I'm still dealing with this. I don't want this, God. I want you. I'm so angry and I hate it. How many of you guys have ever said that in your head? Remember, struggle with sin looks like dying to self living for Jesus. The struggle shows that the Holy Spirit is working on you. It's when we quit struggling. This is what we got to be very careful about when we quit struggling. If maybe one day you commit sin and you don't feel that hatred in your heart towards it, this is what the enemy will do. He steps in, it's like, you're growing, you're growing. God doesn't care about that anymore. Oh my goodness, you're maturing in your faith and your understanding. In reality, this is what really happened to you when you sinned and never and you didn't you didn't feel that hatred towards sin. This is what really happened. You were here and you moved away from the light. Because the Holy Spirit didn't change his mind on it. You just walked away. You you quit letting his light reveal reveal it to you. And that's really dangerous. When, when we quit struggling against sin and quit, when we quit putting sin to death in our life, the enemy will step in and say, oh, you're growing. Look, he's, he must not care anymore. You don't even feel conviction. Just a little further away from that light. Because the closer you get to the light, the more you struggle. But the blessing's greater. It's not a struggle. It's like, God, I, I'm so glad you're revealing me, revealing things in me that I don't need that will lead to my death. That's the whole point. So, the second thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust through this real fast because it's really simple. God's mercy and grace is for both. God has mercy and grace for both if you're struggling or living in sin. God has mercy and grace for you. So, what is mercy? Mercy is God holding back his wrath and not giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God holding back his wrath and not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God pouring out his love on us, giving us what we don't deserve. Paul says in verse 5, Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, that his sinful nature might be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. Even in that, it seems so harsh. God's goal, God's heart is always redemption. 2 Peter says, God is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. But he's not willing that any perish, but all come to a place of repentance. God's end goal is always our growth. God's end goal is always redemption. God's end goal, there's nothing too far gone that God can't redeem. There's no one too far lost that God can't redeem. There's no one too far callous that God can't move in. Sometimes he uses rock bottom to get our attention, to get us to look up. Some of us know people like that. Some of us are those people that hit rock bottom. And what what I've discovered when people have hit rock bottom that are in Christian relationship uh, in, in a relationship with Jesus now, what I've discovered is, in hearing their testimony, is they looked up and they saw that God was running after them. He wasn't standing there watching them. Just oh oh oh, they hit. Well, what do you think of them? Like God's not like that. He was running after them the whole time. And as soon as they smacked rock bottom, they turned around and God had mercy and grace for them. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online, and the fact that you're still breathing and you're living in sin is a mercy of God. Because at any moment, your life could be over, and if you enter heaven without a relationship with Jesus, you're going to hell. And the fact that you're alive is a mercy, because you still have time to give your life to Jesus. Because God has mercy for you. Isaiah tells us he wakes up in the morning wanting to give us mercy. The Bible says God's mercies are made new every day. He wants to give you mercy. The fact that you're alive is proof that he has mercy for you. And maybe you're here today and you've been struggling. You're like, God, I'm struggling so much. I don't know what to do with my life. I don't want this. God has grace for you. Grace isn't just love. God's grace is power to overcome the influence of sin in your life. When when Paul was struggling, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, it says um, in in chapter 9, he said, I had this thorn in my flesh. I asked God to take it away, and he never identifies the thorn. I think he does that so all of us can associate with it. And he asked God three times to take it away. And you know, this is a guy who raised the dead. This is a guy who would pray over handkerchiefs and send them out to dead people, send them out to lepers, send them out to invalids and blind people. And they would hand them the handkerchief that Paul prayed over and those people would get healed. That guy, that type of power of the Holy Spirit at work in him and get this, he's praying for himself. God, remove this thorn in my flesh. I don't want it anymore. The Bible says it was an agent of Satan. The Bible says God sent Paul, an agent of Satan. Wait, what? That that doesn't mean God sent. It's all right. God makes all things work together for good. We don't have to understand it. But God used it to keep Paul humble, and Paul didn't want it. But this is what God told him. My grace is sufficient for you. If you're struggling today, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I can't, go, I can't go another round. Keep going. Don't grow weary while well doing. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. Just say it with me. Just say this. God's grace is sufficient for me. Let's say it together. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for you. And then this is what he said. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Where you're weak, God's strength shows up all the more. You think you're struggling. God's saying, look at my strength. You think you're you're defeated. God's saying, look at my strength. Look at my strength. Look at my strength. My grace is sufficient for you. So what did Paul say after that? He said, so I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to boast in my weakness. So I struggle. That's proof that I'm growing. But I'm not who I was, so I'm going to keep rejoicing. I'm not yet who God made me to be, so I'm going to keep repenting. That's the walk. God has grace for you. And God has mercy for you. With every head bowed, Never, eye closed. I'm, I'm going to do something. You're here today, and you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been living in sin. Claim to be a Christian, but you're not living a Christian life. I know this is a touchy matter. I'm not going to expel you. I want you to know God has mercy for you. God wants a relationship with you. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, and, and you say, that's me, man. Even on the, on the stage, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, that, that's, that's me. I've, I've, been, I've been claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but I've been living like the world. That guy in 1 Corinthians, that sounds just like my life. Maybe not the same sin, but it's how I've been living. If that's you, God has mercy for you. He's running after you. Just want you honestly to slip up your hand. No one's looking around. I can honestly say that no one's looking around. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Never given your life to Jesus. God has mercy for you. It's not that you're claiming to be a Christian. It's just you never, never made the commitment to be a Christian. God has mercy for you. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for you. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That, that God wants to make you a, a, a child of God. He wants a relationship with you. If you're here today, and you need a relationship with Jesus, I want you to slip up your hand. I I, I truly believe there's someone here that needs a relationship with Jesus. I truly believe you look for hope in other places and you don't, you haven't found it. God is that hope that you've been wanting. He has mercy for you and that's all he has is mercy and grace. There's no judgment. I feel so strongly about this. I'm gonna do something I normally don't do. I don't don't believe in a magic prayer but I do believe that sometimes we have to coach people through the process and I believe the Bible is very clear. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer, corporately. And if you say this and you mean it, I want you to come talk to me after service. Because I have resources for you. I want to celebrate with you. And I'll, so let, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus. I thank you that you died on the cross in my place that you are the son of God and that three days later you rose to life forgive me of my sin and come be Lord of my life in Jesus name that was you please come talk to me after service maybe you're here today and you've been struggling you've been so struggling and you're like I just need prayer I need some reinforcements to come around me to pray with me Amy, myself and Mr. Randy will be up here to pray with you you don't have to struggle alone There's grace for you. We're for you. God is for you.